2: Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Liz Truss is about to become your Prime Minister. Imminently, in fact. That's right. She's the prime. She's going to be the Prime Minister of the whole country. Um, we're not in Dallas. You're not going to wake up. It isn't all a dream. Liz Truss is about to become the leader of the United Kingdom. I don't quite understand still how we ended up here. Um, I think if you've been in a coma for the last few years, you'd find the events of that have envelops the country rather puzzling, but we are where we are. Now, we've got a special show today to talk about. I'm interested to know myself, is Liz Truss just going to implode quite quickly? And I say that because actually, you know, a lot of people when, you know, a new politician comes on the scene, to rises to prominence. I mean, she's been obviously foreign secretary a while, but she becomes prime minister. People think, well, she might surprise people. She may well you know she she's got maybe she's tough she's got steel she'll she'll face down her critics margaret thatcher people wrote her off when she became leader of the conservative party i I, mean, I i get that but there's something truly bizarre about the liz truss phenomenon if we can call it that which i do want to talk about so i want to talk about what the polling says now I wonder how much the British public have really engaged with the Conservative Party leadership contest. I actually think a lot of people have switched off and not really engaged. It's been a very introspective, very inward-looking leadership contest where people are a lot a lot of the discussion, predictably, is of course um gone to, to that current favourite pastime of British Uh, political and media commentary, which is baiting trans people, um, and going on about abolishing speed limits in motorways, not really engaging with the massive social calamity which is about to envelop the country as things stand. Now, nonetheless, what does the polling currently say? And in terms of the positioning she's taking, because she represents a very significant shift economically to the right from Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak, who I would argue were to the left of David Cameron and George Osborne, um, on the economy, I'm not saying they were left-wing. I'm just saying they were to the left, relatively, of the previous administration. This represents, to me, I think, a sh- a pretty startling shift, economically, to the right, more right-wing than both, um, of course, uh, Boris Johnson's administration, but also Theresa May and David Cameron's administrations. Is that going to work with the Conservative Party's electoral coalition that they built, which is obviously? I mean, it was 45% of the vote. So there are lots of different groupings in that. They don't all have the same interests. They don't all have the same views. Is that going to alienate some of that coalition? Um, so I'm interested in talking about it. I am interested in talking about what her policies are likely to be, what her direction is likely to be, who, what her shadow cabinet is likely to look like. I will read through some of the lists later. For those of a nervous disposition, do look away because... Um, when I read through that, sh- uh, not shadow cabinet, I forgot they're in government, aren't they? Because it's in government, it's just the cabinet. We will go through her, her likely cabinet. Um, I I might I might end up rocking in a fetal position by the end of it, but I'm sure we will get through this. Now, before uh, we bring in, we've got a brilliant guest today. We've got um, Adam Biekov, who, of course, is at Byline Times, one of the best political commentators in the country for my money. And we have the brilliant Chris Curtis, who's, of course, an eminence pollster at Opinion. I'm going to start with this first, just because I think a lot of you've seen it before, but I think everyone only sees little clips. And I just think it's a little Sunday treat, just to, you know, put a little spring in our step. I sometimes watch this just to amuse myself, but then I realise she's about to become Prime Minister. This is, of course, I think the speech that really got cut through for Liz Tross, really established her as the political titan. He's about to end up in number 10. Let's just do it. It's an old, it's the old hits. Let's see them.
3: And we are selling tea to China. (laughs) Yorkshire tea. When it comes to British food and drink, we have never had it so good. But as well as exporting our fantastic food abroad, I want to see us eating more British food here in Britain. At the moment we import two-thirds of all of our apples. We import nine-tenths of all of our pears. We import two-thirds of our cheese. That is a disgrace. From the apples that dropped on Isaac Newton's head, to the orchards of nursery rhymes, this fruit has always been part of Britain, it's been part of our country. I want our children to grow up knowing the taste of a British apple, of Cornish sardines, of Herefordshire pears, of Norfolk turkey, of Melton Mowbray pork pies, and of course, of black pudding. (laughs) Under a Conservative government, Britain will lead the world in food, farming and the environment. In a fortnight I am going to Paris for the world's largest food trade fair and I will be bigging up British products. In December, I'll be in Beijing opening up new pork markets.
2: Weird, just incredibly weird, if we're going to be honest. Um, Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I asked my mum about this actually when because I I look back at Margaret Thatcher and I I kind of see it as quite otherworldly, there's something slightly odd I always thought about Margaret Thatcher, just her demeanour, you know, just, again just slightly otherworldly. But I just wondered, I was just like, when she became leader of the Conservative Party, did people think she was kind of weird? And I, my mum was like, not, 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 no, no, not really. I mean, I think people, you know, she had been around for hours. She the Education Secretary, associated with milk snatching and all the rest of it because she got rid of free skilled milk. But she wasn't, she was seen as quite like a quite a strong kind of big political figure who was substantial. That's It's just it's just bizarre. I mean, obviously, even the Conservative delegates didn't really understand what to make of that. But uh, she is about to become leader of our country. Now, she was today on um, Lord Konigsberg's new uh, show, which featured Joe Lyce at the Comedian, which I'll come on to because it was very funny. Um, let's just hear what she had to say.
3: But to look at everything through the lens of redistribution, I believe is wrong. Because what I'm about is about growing the economy. And growing the economy benefits everybody. But you're
4: happy with...
3: But this this is a really important point, because so far, the economic debate for the past 20 years has been dominated by discussions about distribution. And what's happened Mm -hmm. is we have had relatively low growth. So we've had no more...
2: Than an it, average
3: of one percent growth, and that has been holding our country but back. And we it means get into a debate about economic that, theory. This, this is, is one of
4: the things that you've promised clearly. You want to do it. Absolutely. You believe it's the right thing. I do believe it, it's the right. But thing. is it fair that on this decision, yes, it is you be, fair. It is fair yes, to give the wealthiest people more money back. It is
3: fair. We promise.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, they're not really supposed to say the quiet part out loud there which i mean she was just presented with a graph showing that her tax plans are going to give a whopping amount of money to people who are rich and then the poorer you get the less you get like it's just as regressive as you get and her response was yeah what are you going to do about it sure yeah rich people they're going to get a load more money cool i mean normally you might expect them to deny it Maybe for her to go, well, actually, I dispute your findings and we're going to do loads more to help other people. Of course, we think the rich should pay their fair share, which is why I've done X, Y, Z. She didn't do that. She was just like, no, rich people get rich. Be good for the economy. Who cares? Great. Bizarre. Utterly bizarre. Because I just, again, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, it's just like class war in a graph. (laughs) It's just like handing huge amounts of money to uh, people who don't, who clearly just don't need it at all. In a massive cost of living crisis, when millions of people face being driven uh, below the poverty line. It is absolutely bizarre. Um, and I just wonder that's why I think it's not, I mean, obviously, we can laugh at her general demeanour. Um, but what I'm interested in is is that politics is a kind of form of right-wing libertarianism, which really is a fringe amongst the British public. Some Brexiteers were in it for Brexit because they like the idea of you know, kind of turning Britain into Singapore, which was always bizarre because Singapore is actually a very statist economy with massive state uh, intervention and, and public ownership, uh, but it's got low tax. So that was their idea. And uh, it didn't pan out like that because that isn't where the British public are, including leave voters. So it just It's a political prospectus that doesn't really resonate, except with quite a small group of the population, often who are rich because they benefit from those policies. Yeah, I mean, it's just... It's an interesting experiment, and I think we're going to find out what that means. Right, I, that's enough for me. I'm about to bring in the brilliant Chris Curtis to talk about. We've got, he's do, they've done lots of polling on the issue about Liz Trust now in terms of where things are at. If you're watching live, do press, uh, do you click on the YouTube link and press like and subscribe. You can put questions to the guests using Super Chat. And obviously, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, great, leave a review. Let's bring in Chris Curtis from Opinion. Hello, buddy. How are you doing?
0: Hi, Aaron. How are you?
2: Very well. Yeah. I'm um just getting used to just letting it marinate, the idea of Liz trust's as leader as Prime Minister. It's um yeah, it's gonna happen. So Yes yeah, it's, it's not it's not the
0: direction I thought we were heading in, um six months ago, I have to have to admit. I you know, I didn't I I genuinely didn't think um really at any point until we got the final two and the the sort of bunch of opinion polls at that point, any point before then, I didn't think I didn't think we'd end up with uh, with Liz Truss. So this has been been a pretty big surprise, even to those of us who are trying to work out the direction we're supposed to be trying to head in. I
2: mean, just before I don't know, maybe you kind of think, well, we ha- I don't know if you've done polling of just in terms of, well, actually, no, yeah, I think you could answer it. I've got some. You can go through some of the latest polling that you've got, but in terms of if you look at not just Conservative members but Conservative mm. voters. Liz Truss pulled very, very substantially. I mean, she's going to win by a landslide over Rishi yeah. Sunak, I would imagine. But actually, amongst it's not like there's a disparity between voters and members in terms of the Conservative Party. Conservative voters have plumped for Liz Truss quite heavily over Rishi Sunak. How would you explain that? How why is Rishi Sunak, who for a while was one of the most was the most popular politician in the country, bombed quite heavily? What's happened, and why do you think Liz Truss has won the Conservative hearts and minds?
0: yeah i mean i would say that it's it has shifted back a little bit since then actually so yeah liz truss is liz Liz truss sort of peaked in popularity wise among the general public uh, around the start of summer and she started to decline in popularity since then some of which we'll talk about in a minute so actually even among conservative among the public she isn't overwhelmingly more popular than rishi sunak but rishi sunak has you know really from the start of the year his popularity declined and he has really struggled uh to win it back particularly among conservative party members and that seems to be driven uh by the by him coming out again one of the big things the biggest reason people tell us they aren't voting for rishi sunak in this leadership election is because he ended up sort of sticking the knife into to boris johnson um that's you know what people say to us they say is that that was a bit of a snaky thing to do they can't support him in the leadership election um because of that i also think I also think he's got better as time's gone on, but he did run a bad campaign. I think he sort of struggled a little bit at the start of this campaign because he sort of assumed, I think not unfairly, that his, we can't just cut taxes in a massively regressive way when the economy's, you know, when we've got to have to spend money on people's energy bills. That's of argument that he was trying to put forward at the start. When that wasn't resonating i don't think it wasn't resonating because of the argument i think it wasn't resonating because of the messenger when that wasn't resonating he started like picking random messages out of the air talking about protecting our women in most of his husting speeches and sort of slightly odd stuff like that so i think rather than just sticking to a single fairly effective message during the campaign he started bouncing all over the place and and that certainly didn't help matters
2: Let's have a look at what the polling your polling, which you've done, says. Oh no, this is you got this isn't your polling. I'll come on to your polling. I'll come to, I'll start with your polling because I've just put up a rival pollster. It's we'll all about right. We could I know you're all you all pals. It's all we're cool. all friends. We're all friends, exactly. How conservative voters use Liz Truss over the campaign? So uh, 20th of July to third of August went up pretty substantially. Compassionate, yeah. yeah. Really, really then just went Pff! PM in rating. Yeah. Did well up to the beginning of August. Then, uh, in touch, ratings were fine. Went up; they were fine. Now they've completely again imploded. Has similar views to me. Completely gone down as well. That's because, and that's that's conservative voters. So I guess I'm a bit confused there. Well, I'm 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 quite confused about the last one actually. But I'll come on to that. We'll come on to that one last. Why do you think? Let's sort take compassionate. And a PM in waiting, for example, what, why do you think what's happened? Why, why has she plummeted so much amongst conservative voters? Um, well, I mean.
0: I, I think I, I think it's that I think it's mostly down to the cost of living crisis. I think you know her, her 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 politics is about vibes, right? And the vibe that she's putting forward on the cost of living crisis is just not where the country is. Voters want massive interventions. They want help with their energy bills in a dramatic way. They want handouts, for lack of a better term. Um, you know, they like the policy that Labour Party's put forward. And I think Liz Truss sort of, you know, and she's going to end up having to do this anyway, but the fact that she has spent summer talking about how she doesn't think that this sort of stuff is the right intervention, I think has has, has been one of the things that's that's turned a lot of voters against. I mean, these are the numbers for Conservative voters. Obviously, um, yeah, pretty much anybody who isn't a Conservative voter also doesn't think that she's compassionate or a Prime Minister in waiting or all of those characteristics. But it, I think it is interesting. You know, at the start of the campaign, we started to see her popularity rising. And I remember sort of writing or speaking to journalists you know, at the start of summer when there was this legitimate like maybe everybody has underestimated Liz Truss when we started to see an increase in her polling among the general public as people got to know her. But that's really turned around quite dramatically since then. And of course, pretty much all opinion polls from us and from the YouGov poll that you popped up since then, her numbers have declined quite fast again. And yeah, just you know, just like yeah, just like we've sort of seen in the past, she's going to start off as prime minister as a fairly unpopular prime minister. She might have a honeymoon bounce. She might you know she might get gain a lot of popularity off the back of a really serious intervention on the cost of living crisis. But she does not start her premiership in a particularly strong position and when there's so many problems uh, that this country is going to face over the si- next 6 to 12 months i mean there are reasons um to think that this this is not going to be a successful premiership
2: i mean again let's just take some of the just the other the other polling that the the, the two other elements i put there here we go let's just bring it up again yeah so that's again yougov i'm obsessed with yougov we'll come back to the yougov polling i'm just why i mean conservative voters um, if you think about it, or if you're gonna be like hardcore conservative vote, certainly, like a lot of them might think about Liz Truss and her economic views that well, actually, they might, you know, that's that would be my ideal kind of conservative leader, but realistically they couldn't, you know, electronic that's too difficult or whatever. But th- that's not happened. I mean, just I'm just intrigued to why conservative voters have decided that she doesn't have similar views to them because. You know, we would expect that to be the case with Labour voters or Liberal Democrat voters or SNB voters. But why? What What has she said that has alienated Conservative voters?
0: I, I I just I think I just think it's all down to the cost of living crisis. I mean, like, you know, there is this, you know, there has been this sort of meme going around about the fact that voters are. Well, it's true. Fundamentally, it's true. Voters, well, at least compared with political elites, politicians are more right-wing on certain uh, sort of cultural issues, immigration, crime, mm-hmm. um, but they're much more left-wing on economic issues. They do want more tax and spend. To a certain extent, they want a lot more redistribution. Eight in 10, nine in 10 would nationalize a lot of our utility companies. So, you know, that is going to, that left-wing views is going to have to expand quite far into the Conservative Voter Coalition. Mm-hmm. So if the Conservatives are having to talk about economic issues, but, you know, they're saying it in a very sort of right wing conservative way. Even a lot of conservative voters are going to think that uh, that those views that are being expressed aren't views that they
2: share. I mean, again, I finally will put the of polling up. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's very, as you say, net trust and list trust and key issues facing the country, cost of living, minus yeah. 47, economy, <laughs> minus 45, housing, minus 44, NHS, minus 42, immigration, minus 42, uh, environment and climate change, minus 40. Brexit, minus 37, education. I mean, it goes on. Defense is the best she's got, and that's minus 29. Yeah, I mean, interesting. I mean, do you think part of the problem has been, actually, the Conservative leadership contest has been very introspective. It's not exactly yeah. showcased, you know, it's not being this kind of big, grand sense of vision for the country on those sorts of issues.
0: Yeah, I, I, th- I think it is that they've been talking to themselves. I mean, you know, I uh, did listen to the final hustings because I was um, uh, doing some interviews around it. And, you know, we talk about the cost of living crisis being the most important issue facing the country. And that did come up a bit. But when it did, it was mostly, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort that out later. I mean, I, I listened to all, all of this, this fiction you, you just think if you're somebody who voted, if you're a sort of, so, yeah, 65, 70-year-old woman, you voted leave in the EU referendum, you know, you're a strong Conservative voter and voted Conservative for the last couple of decades. Listening to her entire hosting speech, what was there in the entire thing, in the entire pitch, mm. in the entire stump that would have appealed to somebody like that? She's going to cut green levies on energy bills so they'll give them some pocket change back while their energy prices are, are going through the roof. Um, you know, not affected by national insurance because loads of people aren't really affected by national insurance and most people on normal incomes is going to make very modest uh, differences to them. So just, you know, the NHS wasn't mentioned once. So you just see these massive problems coming down the track. Um, you know, she had, yeah you know, a very long period of time to remind everyone that she thinks a woman's a woman, but didn't seem to have time to address those really big problems that most people are screaming about because they're coming down the track and they don't know what their solutions are. Like. Just one more example, one more example, right? If you go on any sort of local newspaper website at the moment, or if you go in a local Facebook group, anywhere in this country, a lot of the posts, a lot of the talks are about the bakery closing um on the high street, or, or a whole load of sort of well-loved, well-liked small businesses making the decision to close because they know that if you know they're not going to be able to pay their energy bills in two months' time under current plans. Um, and because the inter- intervention that is going to happen hasn't been announced yet. They can't, you know, make commitments to staff or make commitments to stock or anything for a couple of months time. So they're having to close their doors. That's small businesses, many of which have been around for uh, decades, deciding to close their doors now because we don't know what intervention is going to be put in place on the cost of living crisis. And that's happened because of this Tory leadership contest and because to appeal to Conservative Party members, Liz Truss has been talking about anything but what she's going to do to actually uh, keep, keep people's energy bills down.
2: But but finally, if I was going to kind of maybe make a kind of plea for or or kind of make the case for why Liz Truss might not be to begin with a catastrophe. Yeah. Um, You're absolutely right. Her polling has struggled because it's become very clear to the British public now. Well, for those already suffering from the cost of living crisis, it's already obvious. But the fact that the scale of what's going to hit is so catastrophic. We've already gone through the longest squeeze of wages since the early 19th century. And now we're going to get this as things stand. We're talking over seven thousand pound energy bills, literally impossible. society would collapse if yeah. that was if there was no if there's no serious government intervention, huge numbers of people will be driven into poverty, small businesses will collapse across the country There's no way they're going to be able to allow that to happen without as i've said essentially mass revolution breaking out of the country. They're going to have to do something, so she becomes prime minister. She just does something like freeze energy bills. Maybe she does what Keir Starmer suggested. Isn't that going to shift things around? Because all of a sudden people will go, you know, and because people aren't enamored with Keir Starmer. That's what the polling shows. But in the moment, the Conservative Party set themselves on fire. They're very unpopular. Their prime minister just imploded. They've got this slightly ludicrous politician. thing stand becoming prime minister. But if they do something to address the cost of living crisis next week, could things change?
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And this is why, like, you know, despite all of my pessimism, uh, I do think she will get a bit of a honeymoon period, because, um, you know, ultimately, she's going to go to down the street, she's going to go through some sort of pivot, she's going to have to put in place a massive intervention on energy bills, which is probably going to be fairly popular with the public. And that will, that will get her some way. But we just, you know, we shouldn't distract away from the fact that yeah, this morning when she went on the Liz Trust uh, when she went on the um the Laura Koonsberg Show, she didn't have to appeal to Conservative Party members anymore. They literally can't vote anymore. <laughs> Friday at five o'clock, they can't vote anymore. So this is the, that was the interview that you would use to pivot, to start speaking out to the country rather than just speaking to your membership um what's the big news headline we've got out of that it's her saying you know redistribution is is isn't a good thing she's not doing that pivot her instincts do seem to be sort of you know very right-wing economically and it doesn't look like she's willing to change that and that is just not where the country is um well it's it's never where the country is but it particularly isn't where the country is right now with a massive cost of living crisis and with you know massive nhs backlogs and if her instincts aren't to sort of like see those as the biggest problems uh, facing the country I just think she's going to find it very hard uh, to sustain any level of, of of popularity in the long run
2: Chris great stuff always great to have you on Um be very interested to see what the polling says after the first two weeks of the Liz Truss era which we're all about to just sail into which I'm very much looking forward to excellent uh thank you so much Chris really appreciate it I'll, I'll speak to you soon take care sir. See you soon Great stuff. Um, just quickly as ever, if you're watching, do click on the YouTube link and press like and subscribe. You can support us on patreon.com forward slash 84 you keep the show on the road. We're going to Labour Party Conference and Conservative Party Conference to do our traditional videos. Uh, you make that possible. We pay our videographer Union Wages because we always said, of course, we would do that. We live by our principles. But we're not bankrolled by billionaires, so we can only make those films because of your support. So if you do that, patreon.com forward slash 84 I know lots of people haven't been able to contribute um, because of the cost of living crisis, that's literally what the emails telling us for people who don't feel able to support. So I do appreciate that. So anyone who can, let us know we will make more of those videos. Great. Let's bring in Adam Bienkov from Byline Times, a brilliant political commentator. How are you doing, Adam? Not too bad. How are you doing? Eh? Excited about Liz Truss?
5: Very excited.
2: It's great, yes, isn't I, it? Really... I have to say, I,
5: I um, when I first saw the start of this campaign, uh, I went to Liz Truss's launch and I watched her struggle to find a way out of a small room with one door. It didn't occur to me at that point that this was our future Prime Minister, but, you know, here
2: we are. Oh, yeah, she's going to become Prime Minister <laughs> Yeah, she's, she's becoming PM. She's going to be moving into number 10, or number 11, I think they normally live number 11 yeah. flat now, but she is... She will be a prime minister. How do you sum her up? I mean, she's, you know, Liz Truss, obviously famously, well, for those who don't know, but she, relatively people, I think, do know this. She started off as a liberal Democrat activist in her youth. She is the daughter of two relatively, I think, they're on the left. Uh, her parents, they took her to anti- uh, anti-nuclear protests, CND protests. Um, and, you know, she did this speech at Lib Dem conference when she was a kind of precocious young activist calling for the abolition of the monarchy. Um, she Supported Remain, but she became. I mean, it's interesting because Rishi Sunak campaigned for Leave and became more supported by Remainers and Tory Remainers, whilst Liz Truss became the pinup of Tory ears. How do you sum up her politics? Like, what do you, would you describe as the coherent ideological worldview of Liz Truss? Because I think she definitely has one.
5: Yeah, so I, I think you could make the argument that she's quite similar to Johnson in the sense that they've both made kind of opportunistic. Shifts in their politics in order to get ahead. You know, as you say, she started off as a Lib Dem, Republican, became a sort of Cameroon Remainer, Conservative, and is now a kind of culture war hardline Brexiteer. Um, but the people who know her say that there is a kind of common thread throughout all of that, which is that there is this kind of sort of uh, commitment to economic liberalism, hard right economic liberalism, and I think we've certainly seen that during the case of. During the, the course of this campaign, and the difference between her and Johnson is that Johnson is a conservative by instincts, but he will he will he will change his politics on the turn of a dime if he believes it's in his own interests, and and that's one of his uh, great skills, and and that's one thing that's really benefited him. We haven't seen that, um, as Chris was saying a, a minute ago. We haven't seen that yet from Liz Truss, even though the campaign is now over the votes of voting as finished, we haven't seen a pivot. And of course, the conventional wisdom for many commentators is always to say, yes, so you, appeal, you appeal to the membership and then you, you change once you become prime minister. And you know she may well do that, and she may do that in, in some respects. But There's also a chance that she won't. Um, the fact that she's making these comments this morning to Laura Koonsberg, saying she's against redistribution, she didn't need to make those those comments. The fact that she we're told that she's going to hire... Jacob Rees-Mogg as her Business and Energy Secretary, uh, somebody who has openly said that the opportunities from Brexit are to slash workers' rights, slash standards, and to slash the size of the state. You don't hire someone like that into a position like that, the most important sort of policy position in the government over the next uh, 12 months, Mm. unless you do actually believe some of this stuff. And I think she is, I mean, we shall wait and see, but it seems to me that she is ideologically much more fixed in her views than Johnson ever was.
2: Interesting, actually, you mentioned the bonfire of um, of workers' rights, which, hold on, let's have a look. So this is on uh, the, hold on, hide that. Yeah, Truss eyes bonfire workers' rights to boost economy. I'm quite <clears throat> interested in this, actually, because I was on Question Time two weeks before the referendum in 2016 with Liz Truss. We were both there on the Remain camp. <laughs> Frank, Field. Frank Field was... Um, On the leave side, and I I can't remember who was obviously another leaver, anyway. Um, so there me and Liz Truss comrades in arms. But the argument I made on that question time was that Brexit. The key argument I tried to make because obviously at the time it was trying to, you know, the argument was how do you appeal to Labour voters who might be over leave? Was there would be a bonfire? I used the word bonfire workers' rights. I said they will toss workers' rights on a bonfire it will burn, et etc. et cetera. And obviously that was all fear-mongering and all the rest of it. Now, I suppose Liz just could go, well, I didn't commit to that. I was, I was on the remain side. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that, it's just, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because that, that in the referendum campaign, which, as we know, lots of promises were met, get, given in good faith and kept, but the idea, you know, and, and they talked afterwards, actually will improve workers' rights, so we'll level them up. So what, yeah. what do you make of that? I mean, it's interesting, it comes at a time when the unions are getting more assertive in this country. There's uh, lots of strikes planned, unions are showing muscle.
5: Well, that that was always the, the argument from Romain Kane, the campaigners, you know, and and yourself, as you say, that Brexit would be used as an opportunity to undermine workers' rights, food standards. And Johnson was, I think, quite aware of that criticism, and his government pushed back against it quite strongly, you know, um, one sort of the few times where you ever get real pushback from the government when you sort of suggested that. Um, and so I think he understood the sort of danger of that. I, it seems from what we've seen so far from, from Truss and from Jacob rees Morgan and others, is there is going to be a shift on that. And actually they do see that there's opportunity and they're going to embrace that. And it is going to mean um, reduction in workers' rights. And it's kind of this view of turning Britain into a kind of sort of uh, Singapore on the Thames type scenario, which was always what Remain campaigners warned was, was going to happen. But Johnson and his government said, no, 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 we, we, we can still succeed without doing that. But there is a kind of logic to it. You know, if you restrict your trade with your closest, uh, biggest trading uh, market, um, then you are going to, and you're going to have an economic hit. So the sort of logic from their perspective the way to counter that is to reduce workers' rights, uh, lengthen hours, uh, reduce standards on food and environmental protections, and that's how you boost the economy. And that's something that, from everything we know about Liz Truss and and some of the the, the work that she's done in the past, that some of the reports she's written for think tanks, etc., that that's that's actually the core of her beliefs. That's what she genuinely believes in. Whereas with Johnson, I think you know as much as he believes in anything, he really only believed in advancing his own interests and. You know, he didn't really have this kind of ideological core of wanting to shrink the size of the state as you know, he, he was a conservative, but he, he, he only really backed that if it was in own interest to do so. He didn't actually sort of have this sort of ideological zeal to shrink the size of the state, which I think uh, Sunat uh, Trust uh, really does does have a core.
2: The shadow cabinet, then you mentioned this. So, Tim Shipman, who is a very well connected political commentator amongst the Conservative Party, he's chief political commentator, of course, at the Sunday Times and author of lots of insider account books. Um, so the trust shadow uh, cabinet, I keep saying shadow cabinet, government for God's sake. The trust cabinet, honestly, I had a moment when I read through this, I'm not gonna lie. Chancellor, crazy, Quartang, foreign secretary, James Cleverly. Sorry, just take a breath. Home Secretary Sorella Braverman, <laughs> Cabinet Office Nadim Zahawi, Defence Ben Wallace. Well, like, he's kept. I mean, you'd expect that whoever lead it, to be honest. Health Secretary Theresa Therese, Therese Coffee. Uh, Coffey, uh, Justice Brandon Lewis, Business Jacob Rees-Mogg, Trade Anne Marie Trevelyan, Leveling Up Simon Clark. Simon, Clark- I went to university with Simon Clark, who's in the year below me at my college, and I think the one time I felt most alienated at Oxford. Was when Simon Clark, who was already a 60 year old man in a 19 year old body at the time, uh, he got elected president of the JCR, which is like the student union for the college. And he came into the, the bar, and all these obviously very right wing young students, they blasted out simply the best as he walked in. And honestly, um, but there he is. He's, he's now in the cabinet. <laughs> Work and pensions, Chloe Smith. In, anyway, uh, culture, Nadine Doyle, she's staying. Oh, Excellent. Yeah. Um, leads of the Commons, Ian Duncan Smith. Northern Ireland, Sajid Javid, that's exile, let's be honest. That's what they've done there. Yeah. Um, what, Redwood's I, coming
5: back as well, who is? John Redwood as well.
2: Oh yeah, they're talking about John not, I don't think he's on the
5: list, but I think he's gonna come back in a sort of ministerial role.
2: I mean, that is just extraordinary. Yeah. What do you make of that? What do you what do you make of the political makeup of that government? And in comparison to David Cameron and Theresa May and Boris Johnson's administrations?
5: Well, I think David Cameron, his first cabinet, did have some sort of big beasts in it. Uh, People from across from right across the the party. And you can argue, you know, you can make an argument about what he achieved in government and what he didn't. But he did. There were some, some significant figures in there. I think uh, on this morning's Laura Goonsberg uh, show, Joe's Lyset actually did make this point as a joke, but actually I think it's a, it's a fairly reasonable point to make, which is that when any government has been in power for as long as this one has, you do kind of run out of people to put into your cabinet. You People leave office, people go to the back, the back benches. Uh, some of some MPs are actually literally forced out of the party by Boris Johnson uh, when, when he was Prime Minister. And you do sort of run out of viable people to put in your cabinet. But of course, you know, that's, if you're becoming Prime Minister, you do want to get the best talent and the widest field into your cabinet, particularly when you're somebody like this Charles, who has become Prime Minister off of the back of a very, of a small minority of her own backbench MPs. She was third place in, in the first round of, of voting. So you'd think that she'll try to sort of bring as many people from across the party in, uh, into her cabinet to try and secure her position. It doesn't look like she's doing that. Um, these are overwhelmingly these are people who are loyal loyal to her or are from her wing of the party or the, the wing of the party that she has embraced. So it's it's a very sort of narrow field, uh, narrow outlook. Give or take a, a couple of exceptions. Um, so yeah, it's not a particularly inspiring field, it has to be said.
2: I mean, I had to, I was particularly, Suella Braverman, that worries me a lot, actually, because Suella Braverman as Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, for those of you who don't know, people may remember her short-lived leadership campaign, is a hard-right cultural warrior. She will use the machine of government to wage a cultural war. And it's very clear from the Conservative leadership contest, and that includes Vishi Sunak, you know, just yeah. getting I we get this annoying phenomenon when, I'm afraid, certain centrists and liberals try and find a decent Tory who they become enamoured with when politics for them is a vibe rather than substance. And for a while, Rishi Sunak was that guy. I think Rishi Sunak, throughout, you know, essentially calling for people... <laughs> People who, who tell uncomfortable truths about British history to be arrested, essentially. Uh, yeah. I mean, but they've all done it. They've all gone on, you know. And he's saying we we, we will defend, we will save our women, like he's some sort of feudal yeah. lord, um, you know, and 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 you know, but but Liz Truss has done the same thing. This is I know what a woman is. This is a whole kind of anti-trans dog whistling that kind of thing. I mean, that that suggests that this is going to be we. They did culture wars, Boris Johnson, obviously. We had lots of those, but this is going to be full blown, full blown. Full-blown
5: culture war. Yeah, I mean Johnson did pursue culture wars, and he used that. And he's throughout his career, he's kind of used that to his advantage at certain points. Often, I think he sort of went to it as a kind of last resort. We saw a lot more of it in the final part of his um, premiership when he was under pressure over Partygate and, and other scandals. He was sort of resorted to that kind of tactic. Whereas I think we're now seeing it with with the trust incoming trust administration. We're seeing it from day one. This is what this is what they're all about. Um, and I do kind of wonder what who is the audience for that? Because we've seen the polling, Chris went through some of it as well, which shows that these kind of issues are really right down the bottom of the most vast majority of people's concerns, even the concerns of conservative voters. Um, there's a bit more salience towards them among conservative party members, but even among them, these aren't the big issues, you know. Uh, unisex toilets, et cetera, et cetera, that people, even the Conservative Party members really care a huge amount. So you sort of think, who actually is the audience here that Truss is appealing to? And the only sort of reasonable answer that I can come up with is that she's appealing to the parts of the press that like to talk a lot about these things. So this is the this is a kind of an audience of one. You know, this is uh, Paul, Paul, Paul Dacre at the at the Daily Mail or or you know her other editors, other papers that also pursue those kind of topics rather than actually even our own party, let alone
2: the country. What, what's your, in, in terms of being kind of capable of actually running the country, because the thing about Boris Johnson is he's clearly a very good political campaigner. It's just pointless to pretend otherwise. He Obviously, he was a very good campaigner to be mayor. He played very good um, campaigning. He put a big boost under the Leave campaign. And obviously, there was the 2019 general election campaign and the leadership contest before that. So he's a very good campaigner, not very good at governing. It turns out, uh, yes. surprise, surprise. Anyone who knew anything about Boris Johnson, including the MPs who were actually nominated him, they knew that. Actually, uh, it was very clear. I don't think anyone who knows Boris Johnson had any illusions about his competence. Do you think Liz? Druss, what do you think about Liz Truss just being able to run a run a government? For a yeah, it's kind of.
5: I mean, people who know her, it's kind of mixed reports. Um, I think uh, Dominic Cummings is referred to as the human hand grenade, so she goes off, at all, and you know, there are lots of people who say that she's she's pretty terrible. Other people say she's you know. Sort of Fairly workmanlike and very hardworking and, and sort of more competent than than Johnson was. I think mean, it's hard to judge from the outside because she, there's not we can't really point to a huge amount of things that she's done when she was international trade secretary. She, yes, she signed a lot of rollover deals from from our time in the EU, but you know anyone could have done that. And actually, the ones the deals that she has struck, there are big questions about them. The deals with Australia and, and New Zealand, which. Um, she hid the fact that they overwhelmingly benefited New Zealand farmers rather than UK farmers. Um, so I think there are questions about that, but I, you know we have to wait and see. But the, the one thing we can judge her by is the conduct of this campaign, and she's made a huge amount of sort of unforced errors uh, during this campaign. You know, whether it's you know putting out a press release saying she's going to cut wages of, of public sector workers outside of London, or calling civil servants anti-Semitic, or saying during an interview that she thinks uh, she's not sure whether Emmanuel Macron is a friend or a foe. You know, these are all massive, unforced, unenforced errors that she didn't need to make. She was well ahead. She was ahead, you know, it was obvious right from the start of this campaign that she was going to, once it got down to the final two, that she was going to win it because 60% of Conservative Party members normally go for the most right-wing candidate, mm-hmm. and that's how she was judged. Um, she didn't need to make these unenforced, unenforced errors. and um, And that's exactly what she's done. So I think that's... That's pretty worrying, particularly when you look at the kind of list of things that she'll have to deal with. Uh, not even in the first weeks,
2: in the first days of her of her premiership. So, if you have a prediction for the first few weeks of, a little, because I think just quickly, I mean, on, on the cost of living crisis, as I said to Chris, they're going to have to do something. It's just, it's, yeah. it's just, it's it's the, the, the social and economic consequences of not doing something drastic. We're talking societal collapse, essentially. Um, and they are now saying that they are. I mean, they're briefing, they're going to do something big on the scale of the furlough scheme, basically. But it's interesting because she talks about not being averse to handouts, which is obviously very much in sync with her right wing libertarian instincts. Does one, I mean, the industry, the, the industries, the, the, uh, the energy giant, the energy company's preferred solution is to do a freeze, but basically to then make that a loan to the entire British public, which we then pay back over 10 years, basically put on a mortgage on energy bills, which we then pay back to the energy company over 10 years. I wonder if she'll go for that. It'd be interesting to see if she does. I mean, what's your sense about, do you think she just has to do something very drastic and how do you think that might impact how people see her?
5: There is no route for her to win the next general election other than to spend a lot of money over the next six months to a year, if not longer. So she's going to have to do that. I think the, the question is where that money is going to go and who is going to be made to pay for it. And she's repeatedly said during this campaign that she's, not, she's promised not to raise taxes in any way. She's ruled out windfall taxes. So that means that we're going to have to pay for it. Um, she's not going to get it back from the energy companies. Um, and where, where is that help? Where is that money going to go? Well, we know from looking at the tax cuts that she's announced, they overwhelmingly help. The richest people in society and don't help mm. the poorest people in society so you would assume that something similar will happen uh with her energy uh handouts but you know we shall wait and see I, I imagine that it will it will what her help will come too late it's already too late we should have seen help over the summer and it will be poorly directed and it will benefit people on the, the upper end of the the income spectrum as opposed to the bottom but you know, we we'll just
2: have to wait and see. Just got a couple of quick last ones. What, how do you think Labour? How do you think they're going to handle this, trust? What do you think their kind of general approach will be?
5: Well, we we don't know yet because we haven't heard a huge amount from them. Uh, Starmer was very quiet over the summer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when Johnson was had his two holidays and disappeared, um, we didn't really. You know, you might have expected Labour to be all over the TV screens, you know, saying you know got the government missing and and we didn't see that um, they eventually did come out with a very popular policy on, on freezing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but again it's kind of gone a bit quiet since then um, so I, I don't I don't know in, in, in a sense I think starmer has been quite lucky um, in, he was in a lot of trouble this time last year um, the Conservatives were heading the polls and there was there was talk going into labor conference that he could be in, in some trouble. And then Partigate hit at uh, the turn of the year and, and you know everything changed. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. Um, and now they've I think he's been quite lucky again in that they've selected someone like Liz Truss, who has deep flaws, mm-hmm. and we're going into a very bad recession. So I think it's going to be pretty hard for Labour to to lose the next general election. But, you know, you wouldn't put it past them to, to give it a good try. And
2: um, just lastly, Liz Truss, as you've noted, actually, it's quite rare. It's very rare for someone to become leader with actually such low support in the parliamentary party. The parliamentary sp- support was very fragmented with different candidates.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but in terms of first preferences, she only got a relatively small sliver of the Conservative parliamentary party. So she's got quite a... She's got a small parliamentary base to rely on. I mean, I just... And we've seen already amongst Conservative voters, her polling has crashed pretty substantially. Now, I've put it to you, and this has obviously been circulated quite a lot. If Liz Truss is a disaster and she doesn't really have much support amongst MPs compared to most Tory leaders. What do you think the odds of her being replaced, oh, sorry, got rid of, and Boris Johnson coming back up?
5: Well, I think there's a very good chance of her being replaced. Um, as you say, she she does she starts off from a very low base of support within her party. We're going into a major economic crisis, which she doesn't appear to have great answers for. She's not popular with the public even before she's begun. With The Conservative Party are staring down the, the nose of a, of a what looks to be like a likely defeat in the next general election. Are they going to let her just carry on and lead them towards that? Probably not. Um, but they are running out of time. They, they will be running out of time to make a change.
6: Yeah.
5: Whether or not they would bring back Boris Johnson, I mean, lots of people have sort of ruled him out in the past. And, he, you know, he's he's had quite a few sort of ends to his career only to be resurrected. I still think it's it'd be pretty hard for him to, to come back. Having lost the support of so many Conservative MPs uh, this year, Having put them through all of the scandals that he put them through, uh, with his own popularity in the public so low, I think it would be a big ask for him to come back from that and be, become prime minister again. I mean, any you know, any, stranger things have happened in politics, but I, I think it's it's pretty unlikely.
2: Well, we shall see. He's certainly being fed by some of his more admiring supporters in the British media and um, those around him, um, but yeah. Uh, Exciting times. Thrilling times. (laughs) Lucky lucky old us living in interesting times. Um, Thanks so much, Adam, as ever. Uh, Obviously, do follow um, Adam Bienkov on Twitter and his brilliant work at Byland Times. But we really always appreciate having you on. So thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Thanks, Adam. Take care, man. Take care. Bye. Great stuff. Now, before being our final guest, um, at the end of the show, I am going to do a response to Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. um was played a video uh, that I did about him on the Jeremy Vine show, and he responded. So I'm going to respond to him at the end of the show. Obviously, the show's generally, we've been talking about the Conservatives, but we are independent, and we obviously scrutinize both the government and the opposition. And it's that... With that in mind, we're going to talk to our next guest. Um, the Labour Party has just had elections to the National Executive Committee. That's the kind of governing body. And um, when conference obviously only happens once a year, that's like the annual parliament, if you like. Um, and uh, the results were interesting, I think, for, for for a number of reasons in terms of the plunging of the number of people who participated, which suggests a party which is vastly, hugely hemorrhaging. Um, party members and active party members, but also how it's split kind of politically because a lot of people on the left have left the Labour Party. Uh, They've ripped up their membership cards. So the political shape of the Labour Party has changed quite significantly. Now, what do the results tell us about that? And what does it tell us about the future of the Labour left? Does the Labour left have a future after Keir Starmer lied his way to becoming leader of the Labour Party. Now let's bring in Jess Barnard, who is newly elected member of Labour's National Executive Committee, and of course the former chair of Young Labour. Hey Jess, how you doing? Hello, thanks so much for having me on Owen. Great to see you as ever. Let's just start actually with the youth wing, because that's where you've come from. So the left one in Young Labour, and also, Labour students, interesting, because Labour students was always the epicentre of the Blairite right of the Labour Party. Basically, anyone who knows anything about student politics um, back in the day will know that if you turned up to kind of Labour student stuff, you're going to get a load of ultra Blairite drones who basically practice their future conference speeches uh, in front of bathroom mirrors at the age of 12 and dress like 50-year-olds when they're teenagers um, and, and speak like this when you're having a conversation with them just weird people anyway but tell me about the results to young labour and to labour students to begin with What, what what how did they go
6: i think that they went overwhelmingly and i think let's just go back to kind of where we we started um with these elections, right? So we've, we've been uh, a socialist committee, proudly socialist, championing the policies the young people in this country want to see and need. And that, you know, at times that's meant challenging uh, the leadership. Um, And so over the course of the two years, what we faced is just constant and deliberate obstruction um, by people at Southside Labour Party HQ, um, refusal to engage with young members and the complete like deliberate attempt to try and stop us as young Labour uh, engaging with our own memberships. That's meant, you know, refusing to send out emails for us, refusing to allow us our own conferences, despite it being in the rule book. And obviously, you know, everybody uh, probably knows about the uh, takeover of our social medias and removal of, of our ability to communicate with membership in that way so this has been two years of hammering away at our ability to engage with members and even so we've returned an overwhelming socialist majority to Young Labour's National Committee winning uh, the majority of those positions and like you said for the first time we've we've managed to have democratic elections for Labour students not you know no stitch-ups here um, although there were you know some issues around ballots but even so, we managed to elect a socialist majority in charge of the students committee, which is incredible and something we've people been fighting for for so many years. Um, so, you know, your question about is there a future on the left in Labour? Well, the future is definitely with the youth and student wings.
2: It does show, doesn't it? I mean, it's quite a decisive shift amongst young people. The The left has broad kind of Sympathy and support amongst younger people in this country, in a way that wasn't the case in the early '80s. Young people voted for Margaret Thatcher in 1983. So she had a nine-point lead amongst 18 to 24-year-olds. Obviously, there's been a shift, so that does show young people in the Labour Party, even despite the loss of so many people who've lost, let, ripped at the membership cards, are with the left. Tell me about the NEC election. You were elected on the first round. Congratulations. The only other person Thank elected you. in the first round was Luke Akehurst, who uh, is from the exact opposite wing of the Labour Party as you. What Tell us about the NEC election results and what they tell us. And I should say just quickly on that, turnout has plummeted. So just to put things in perspective, in 2016, 257,000 votes were cast. So that's 2016, 257,000 votes. In this election, it's gone from 257,000 down to less than 70,000. That is the lowest turnout since 2012. In 2014, there were more votes cast. And in 2014, it's when the Labour membership was much, much smaller. So actually, just firstly, before we talk about the results, that collapse in turnout is astonishing. What does that tell us about the Labour Party?
6: I, th- I think the headline here is that the membership has been demoralized by this Labour Party leadership. Uh, and that we've seen, you know, how how this has been done, you know, shutting down local members' abilities to meet, to discuss things, to debate, uh, to pass motions. And then obviously, you know, we've seen all of the attempts uh, to remove left-wing uh, candidates from local elections. And so I think it's... it's It's interesting in that, you know, many people on on many levels voted for Keir Starmer to be to be Labour leader for many different reasons. But overwhelmingly, what this tells us is that they've just been demoralised by this leadership. Mm. And I don't think that they feel that this is a party that is speaking for them, and speaking to them.
2: In terms of the I think the left did better in the NEC elections than than expected to be honest with you, because so many have left. And we've seen such a collapse. We can see the collapse in, in the numbers. But the fact that you were elected, for example, we can go—you know—people like uh, Gemma Bolton or Yasmin Dar. Um, there was a division on the left vote, which I won't go into. But uh, Nomi Wimborne Idrisi also won. But um just—but in, in, in any case, we can see that those who positioned themselves on the left actually d- did okay. It doesn't matter in some ways, people would argue, in terms of the balance of forces on the NEC, because overall the leadership has such a big majority. They can get anything they want through the NEC. But it just shows, I suppose, that there's more support for the left within the Labour. That's what it tells us, and therefore more people on the NEC who are able to make left-wing arguments.
6: Definitely. And like, let's not forget, the Labour Party leadership would have absolutely buried the Ford report, had it not been for left wing socialist members like Mish, demanding, we see that report, uh, and that, you know, the leadership, um, make sure that the membership can see that report and can see what needs to change in the Labour Party and can see the realities um, of the racism entrenched in our party that we need to combat. And so, I think, you know, just for example, that and also the fact that we had a, a democratic Labour student election this time, that was won by having socialists sitting on Labour's NEC. So without those voices, none of those things would have happened. Now, of course, Keir had a comfortable majority before these elections, he still has a comfortable majority afterwards. So I think, uh, you know, in, in real terms, that hasn't changed. But I think, This is not a terrifying wipeout for the left that I think the right were probably expecting. Like you said, we've seen hundreds of thousands of members leaving the Labour Party, ripping up their membership cards. And after everything they've thrown at us, all of the rules that were broken every democratic meeting obstructed every underhand and intimidating tactic that they use we still returned four left wingers to the NEC there is still appetite for socialist politics and for the policies that we have been demanding you know and, and people are fed up you know people don't want to be told that labor MPs can't stand in solidarity with striking workers despite the general public supporting these workers despite the labor party being set up to represent workers um, so i think what it tells us is there is an appetite for left-wing politics still, and I think we shouldn't be demoralized or disheartened by these results at all.
2: Just finally on that then, because a lot of people will, you know, a lot of people have left the Labour Party, a huge, a huge, including, I know, look, when I post on Facebook, for example, um, a lot of people who post on Facebook are current or former members of the Labour Party, a lot of them former, yeah, I, I, I get quite an interesting sense just from my Facebook post in particular about where a lot of people politically are in the Labour Party. Um, and I've noticed a lot of people who voted for Keir Starmer have left the Labour Party <laughs> because they voted for him genuinely. Look, both of us voted for Rebecca Long-Bailey, fine. But, you know, a lot of people who voted for Corbyn in both leadership elections voted for Starmer. And they genuinely believed that the offer of radical domestic policies and party unity with competence was going to be the thing that was going to happen and they've left so what would you say to people who think it's all over uh what's the point why should i have- it's a cost of living crisis why should i have to spend my hard my hard earned cash on a party which hates me because that's what people feel it's like being trapped in a really problematic relationship where the person's like i hate you you're scum I hope you die. Everything you stand for, we hate. Um, And then you're giving them money and voting for them. A lot of people, that doesn't sit well with them. So what would you say to that?
6: I would say that the change that we are trying to win in society is not going to be handed to us. It's not going to be easy it's going to be exhausting you know the, the wealthiest people in our society are not just going to hand over uh, their taxes or hand over the services that we are going to nationalize this is going to be a struggle um, and that means a struggle within the labor party too because there are forces in the labor party that don't want to see that change they want to see a kind of main, maintaining of the status quo and so i would say you know it, it is hard it is exhausting and it can feel demoralizing um, but this this is the struggle that we are in we have to win these internal battles but that doesn't mean you have to focus all of your energy uh, entirely on internal Labour politics. There are movements outside of Labour Party that, you know, we're seeing winning real changes. The strikes that we are seeing uh, are absolutely huge. This summer of strike action um, has been making history. And I think organizing in our workplaces is going to be one of the fundamental changes and things that we all need to be doing um, as Labour Party members. So I would say get organizing uh, in your trade union, get organizing in your workplaces, get organizing in your communities. Join the Enough is Enough campaign, but also stay and fight in the Labour Party because the fight is not over. And we need good people, socialist people in there to win that transformative change.
2: Jess, it's been such an honour. And I have to say, I do get depressed about politics and the future of the left all the time. But when I see people like yourself, far younger than me, because I'm old now, uh, but uh, with such a burning commitment to left-wing ideas, uh, I know the left does have a future. Um, we're taking the scenic route, certainly, to the place we want to end up, but we will get there. And the fact that there's so many younger people, in a broadest sense, um, who are committed um, to transformative policies in a completely broken society, which can't be fixed by just fiddling around the edges, which is unfortunately what is on offer at the moment. You know, I know that there is a future. So thanks for your courageous leadership. Well done on being elected. You were a brilliant chair of Young Labour. The Labour leadership threw everything at you. They really did do everything they could to undermine you you and, and all the rest of it, but you really stood your ground and showed far more integrity and courage than any of those thugs. Who's now a lot of them running the Labour Party. So thank you so much, Jess. Honestly, you really appreciate it. Take care. See you in a bit. Oh, sorry, slightly dodgy. We've got. I think she got the picture. Lots of love, Jess. I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> Great stuff. Right. Finally. Oh, actually, I will talk about Joe Lighter afterwards at the end. Wow, this is quite a long show. Uh, before I do though, Keir Starmer is leader of the Labour Party, as you may have noticed. And Keir Starmer became leader of the Labour Party because he. Offered to the Labour membership a very seductive political prospectus, which was, guys, we're not gonna get rid of these radical policies that you like. God no, no, we're gonna keep those. Yeah, we're gonna keep, we're gonna, oh yeah, love nationalization. Oh, it's great, isn't it? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna really redistribute wealth and power. Stand by standing by trade unions. I'm a comrade. I'll be there with you on those picket lines. Um, But also we need to be united. We need party unity. We need all wings of the Labour Party working together. Wouldn't that be so lovely? And also, you know, we're going to do all of that and be competent and professional. And a lot of people voted for that because they believed it. They believed it was true. And Keir Starmer made the dividing line in British politics um, about integrity and honesty, because obviously Boris Johnson is just a brazen liar who just lies as easily as he breathes. So Kirsten was like, well, actually, I'm the former head of the Crown Prosecution Service and I'm full of integrity and honesty when he'd actually ran a very deceitful leadership campaign because, of course, he systematically broke those. He abandoned those pledges. They weren't called vague aspirations. They weren't called... Maybe things that I'd like to do in an ideal world. They were called pledges. Those are cast iron commitments. He was asked in interviews about whether he was going to put them in the manifesto, uh, these ideas, and he said he would. I'll come on to those clips shortly. Now, when Sam Tarry, a minister, shadow minister, was sacked from the front bench for standing by striking workers, uh, I've known Sam Tarry for a very long time, by the way, I was pretty annoyed, actually. I I was irritated, to say the least. So I did a little video. I did a rant. I like to rant. Get it out of my system. Now... Keir Starmer went on the Jeremy Vine show, which I'm a regular on. I am, in fact, on tomorrow, Monday. Uh, again, do, do catch me there. Um, so he, the video was put to him and then his reaction. So let's just have a look at this clip. I mean, I'll show you
1: a little clip of, of Owen Jones, who's on this show a lot. Have a look at this.
2: Keir Starmer is a professional political conman. He has brazenly, overtly delivered the exact opposite of what he said he would be as Labour leader. I know his army of supporters online, the most tedious, ridiculous Waitrose customers that you'll ever come across, they, they think it's all fine. But the fact is, that is the truth. He is a con man. He is not someone anyone can trust. I'm not focused
1: on Owen. I'm sorry, Owen. I know Owen. <laughs> I like Owen. I'm not focused on Owen. You're focused on Waitrose customers. No, no, no. I'm, I'm focused intently on winning the next general election because we can talk about what we're going to do uphill and down dale. Until we win an election, we won't do it. The Labour Party's lost four elections in a row. Owen was a cheerleader of the last attempt and we failed. If we carry on like that, we are letting millions of people down. So... I took a decision to take the Labour Party from where we were when I took over, which was the worst general election defeat since 1935, change the Labour Party, make it face the voters and talk about what they wanted to talk about, put practical ideas on the table, how do you pay your bills this winter, who's going to pay for it, uh, in the hope that we can get a Labour government because uh, we desperately need a change. And that is what I'm absolutely determined to bring about.
2: Now, Starmer supporters love this online. They were like, Owen Jones must be a fan of nationalization because he just got publicly owned by Kit Starmer. I wasn't quite sure why he was owned, I had to say. I was trying to work it out because he didn't obviously engage with the accusation, which is that he ran a deceitful leadership campaign where he made a series of promises which he then broken, which he then broke. Um, and that makes him a con man because someone who 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 wins someone's confidence through deception and deceit. Um and then betrays those promises. I mean, what is that other than being a con man? I mean, I, 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 some people might go, well, I mean, oh goodness grief, throwing these words around con man. It's such an aggressive, violent term. I don't think it is. I think it's just, yeah, if you just, if you deceitfully gain trust only to betray that trust, then you've, you're have you a con man. <laughs> um. Now, obviously he tries, he I mean, when he says he knows me, I don't. know. I mean, I've not gone on a camping trip with him. I'm quite sure what you meant by that. Um, one of my uh, long-standing best friends was his right-hand man for a very long time. He was someone I've known since 2007. I think I did actually go on holiday with him. Actually, um, so I, I suppose I knew uh, Keir Starmer vaguely through that. I'd interviewed Keir Starmer, and I think in hindsight, kind of annoyed because I did videos with Keir Starmer about Brexit because he was Labour's Brexit spokesperson but i think to be honest um i was being used to kind of have videos which presented him in a you know that will just you know a lot of my videos are watched by labor party members so you know do interviews with me hopefully they quite like him when they watched the interviews, that was that was the that was the idea, I would say. Um, during the leadership contest, um, Keir Starmer's team told me repeatedly that they wanted John McDonald to stay Shadow Chancellor. They rang me. Well, I remember about the top five percent income tax uh promise, which was that they would keep the um the Labour Party manifesto commitment in twenty seventeen and twenty nineteen to hike income tax for the top five percent. They rang me to say absolute cast iron because I was worried about the wording, it's cast iron. We're going to stick to that, absolutely. I promise you. I promise you that. Um, a load of left-wing commentators were brought together in a pub in Kings Cross by Keir Starmer's team, um, where he was obviously there, um, uh, you know, kind of trying to present his left-wing credentials. And I had a chat with Keir Starmer there. I don't care about just. I mean, it's just like, am I revealing confidence? I mean, like, if, you're gonna, if he's going to be dishonest, I'm not. I'm not. It's not like I'm betraying a big confidence here. But just, just explain. So I had a chat with Keir Starmer there, and I said, well, actually, you know, you're making all these radical commitments, you, you know, you're going to stick by them. He's like, absolutely, absolutely sticking by them. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, you know, it's just a lot of the MPs don't like those policies at all. Like, they they really won't. So will you put up a fight against any pressure by right-wing Labour MPs to water those commitments uh, down? And he said, well, absolutely. You know, I'm being elected as leader of Labour Party with a very specific mandate. And one of the things I asked him about was tuition fees. About abolishing tuition fees and keeping that, he said that has to stay. Of course, that has to stay. Uh, they're already talking about abandoning that pledge. Um, they were talking about doing that. Uh, it was they briefing the papers about about abandoning that commitment altogether, which doesn't surprise me because a lot of the people around Keir Starmer made their cut their teeth in right in student politics, basically fighting against people who support free education. So that's kind of like an article of faith for them. It's like a, you know they really want to die in that ditch. Um, yeah, so. Um, after he became leader, he would occasionally text me in quite a thin-skinned way because what would happen is I would criticise him on Twitter and then he would text me kind of being irritated about it. And I kind of thought, not to belittle myself, but you've got better things to do with your time. And we were going to meet up um, when he, just like a few months after being leader, we didn't. The, 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 conversation, the last conversation I had with him was, um, I. it was after Jamie... It was, a few, it was in the period after Jamie Corbyn obviously had his whip suspended, and my I said that I think the people around him want to crush the left. That, that you know that's how it comes across to me, and um, and he was he said to me, "It's just not. I have no interest in crushing the left. No interest in crushing the left." Um, you know, for me, it's about weeding out anti-Semitism, which I don't regard as a left-right issue. Um, and um, then a few months later, he introduced. Uh, we attempted to reintroduce the electoral college for the leadership rules um in order uh to stitch up the party's internal rules to stop anyone on the left ever being able to be leader of the labor party again. And in the end they changed it with a threshold so that you had to get the support of 20% of the parliamentary party in order to get on the ballot paper. You know, it's just done to stop anyone left-wing becoming leader of the Labour Party. So obviously uh, you know I last time I spoke to him then I'm, oh yeah, he spoke to me before that. I think when I had COVID, he sent you know sent me a message or something. But I, after that, I I just I just texted him and went that was a lie, which it was. It was a lie. And do you know what? I'm not having it. I'm not having this ludicrous situation where it's acceptable for the leader of the Labour Party to have brazenly, openly, wantonly lied in the way he has. I'm sick to death of those hypocrites who are his cheerleaders online. I made a flippant joke about Waitrose. Honestly, these people, they, they, they're they acting like that was a hate crime. I shop at Waitrose. There's a Waitrose down the road. I shop at Waitrose sometimes. I said the most tedious Waitrose customers, by the way. It's a self, you you can self, I, self exclude yourself from that group. I wasn't saying all Waitrose. I'm a Waitrose customer. Um, Oh, dear. Um, I was just saying there's a very specific, you know, disproportionately quite privileged group of a certain age who are wedded to very aggressively centrist politics who hate the left and, and don't really believe in anything. Politics for them is vibes. It's about vibes, not substance, which is why they like people like Rory Stewart, even though he's really right-wing and does lots of right-wing things, that kind of thing. Anyway, um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, the fact that his supporters will grandstand about the dishonesty, corrupting British politics, and yet this guy... He's leader of the Labour Party, is um, has just brazenly lied. Let's just have a little look. Here's one example. Here's one example.
1: A commitment of to nationalisation. I never made a commitment to nationalisation.
4: First of all, raise your hands if you're into scrapping tuition fees. That's everyone. Renationalising water and electricity. Yeah.
2: It's just a lie. What he said he said, I never made a commitment to nationalization. that That was with Laura Kunzberg after the leadership election. So he said on national television, I never made a commitment to nationalization. But in the leadership contest, you saw what he did. Don't say, you know, you, you don't think to yourself, I can't trust my lying eyes. You saw what happened. He was asked, Do you support nationalization? He stuck his hand up. How many people are saying, Well, that's not a commitment. Are you joking? Um and he said in the in the ten pledges, um, about common ownership. And I know they they use common ownership because they could weasel out and think, well, actually, common ownership could mean something else. It said explicitly that these utilities must be in public hands, public hands, not making profit for private. So obviously, it was about that's nationalization. So that's just a lie. He lied. It's, it, I'm sorry. He, there's no way of cutting it. That is a lie. He lied in order to be leader of the Labour Party. He said he supported nationalization. And because then they go, his supporters, well, things have changed and said, yes, there's more of a case for nationalisation of energy now than there was before. And you shouldn't just be throwing bungs at a broken system rather than dealing with the underlying problems, which is ownership. Um, but in any case, he lied because he said he didn't make a commitment to nationalisation, but he did. let's just have another example
1: it's really important you get politicians to come out and support you uh, and stand with you in this so i'm very proud uh, to do that to be with you this morning and to support you through this campaign both as the local MP for here but also in the shadow cabinet uh, and as running as leader of the labour party because my leadership if i win it will be standing with you and other campaigns like you so that we can win issues like this that are so important thank you very much indeed
2: but, oh, I mean, come on. Just co- come on. Come on. He said, that was a leadership contest, that as leader of the Labour Party, be out. he's saying he be out supporting striking workers on picket lines. And as shadow cabinet minister, he did, by the way, go onto those picket lines. And then he says, as leader of the Labour Party, no, a responsible party government cannot go on picket lines. And I forbid any front bench minister, shadow minister from doing that. That is dishonesty. There's no way you can get around that because actually in the leadership contest as well, he made a pledge to support trade unions. He said, we will stand, work closely with trade unions all the rest of that. Do you think trade unions on strike think the Labour Party is working closely with them? Obviously they don't. Now, just here's, here's some other examples. I mean, it's just ridiculous to be honest. I pay tribute to Jeremy Corbyn, who led our party
1: through some really difficult times, who energised our movement and who's a friend As well as a colleague. We have to show we're the party of the Green New Deal, where we no longer have the question or the debate, well, it's good for the economy but bad for the environment. Not anymore. If it's bad for the environment, it's bad for the economy. (laughs) Jeremy Corbyn made our party the party of anti-austerity, and he was right to do so. The party that would fight cuts to public services. He made us the party that wanted to invest more heavily in our public services. And he was right to do so. And we must retain that. We build on that. We don't trash it as we go forward. We should treat, if you like, the 2017 manifesto as our foundational document. The radicalism and the hope that that inspired across the country was real. Anybody who knocked on a door in that election knows it was real. So we have to hang on to that as we go. First forward. of all,
4: raise your hands if you're into scrapping tuition fees. That's everyone. We now. Na-
2: but we did that one. I mean, look, come on, come on, ridiculous. So he says don't trash the last few years under Corbynism. Praises, uh, you know, that shift um, on domestic policy, and calls the 2017 manifesto the foundation document. Since then, he said those ma- those manifestos are absolutely completely scrapped. Bunk. Not drawing on them. I mean, and and, and abandoning the key policy pledges within them. It's just being dishonest. It's lying. It's lying to people in order to win. Now, I know people, the response to this essentially is, well, you know, the left aren't legitimate political actors. It's good politics to lie to the left. It's good politics to deceitfully uh, find ways of crushing them. And that's what a lot of the British media think, which is why he gets away with it. I mean, it is interesting. He is now getting scrutinized on this because his dishonesty was so wanton on such a grand scale that it would be ludicrous if the media didn't question him on it. And they have done, including on the Jeremy Vine show, which I'm glad they did. But as you can see, the the argument that I made that he's a con man, which I stand by because again, gaining someone's confidence and trust on a false premise, which you then duplicitously, you abandon the promises you made uh, when you've got into a position purely on the back of misplaced Uh, confidence, you're being a con man. You are. What else is it? It's confidence trickery. It's deception. It's lies. It's dishonesty. So what I said in that video was correct. And Keir Starmer didn't respond to it because he doesn't have a valid response to it. When he says conditions have changed, the economy's changed. How does that apply to striking workers? What's changing British society for him to go in the leadership contest, I'll be standing with you on picket lines. To so being leader, I forbid anyone from going on picket lines. What's changed? Nothing has changed, other than he doesn't have to appeal to Labour Party members in order to win. I know people go, well, every leader, you know, has to speak to members to get elected, and then they pivot to the general public. But if you look, I mean, firstly, that doesn't mean just lying, <laughs> just lying on an epic scale. And secondly, on these issues about nationalisation, the vast majority of people support nationalisation, including most conservative voters. I mean, you know, it's just because people can see how the privatised model is broken. The vast majority of people support higher taxes on the rich. And we can talk about the failures of Corbynism. I wrote a book about it um, and what went wrong. It, the idea, it was people on their, you know, their doorsteps going, well, I was going to vote Labour, but I really, really like my privatised railway system. And, oh, I don't think the rich should pay any more tax they than having such a hard time. It's, it's just a fantasy. I mean, these are popular ideas and policies or tuition fees. People don't think young people should be saddled with debt for the audacity to believe in a university education society benefits from. So basically, I stand by what I said. Keir Starmer is a con man. He's a liar. He's dishonest. He cheated his way to the Labour leadership. And the fact they're doing well in the polls now has nothing to do with anything they've done. Keir Starmer's uh, ratings, I think he's on minus 25. I don't think anyone would call that particularly popular, would you? Um. The reason Labour doing well, and I speak as I'll vote for Labour the next election. A lot of you probably think I'm an absolute sucker for doing that, but I do, I've always voted Labour. I I've voted Labour under Tony Blair, Gordon Brown, uh, Ed Miliband, Jamie Corbyn, and Keir Starmer. I've always voted. Unlike a lot of my detractors who were voting for effing Lib Dems not that long ago, by the way, always interesting on Twitter, people, these Starmer bots go, oh, you're a Tory, you're a Tory fifth the columnist. And, and then there's always these accounts that just check their um, Twitter from 2019 where they're like, I will never vote for Joni Corbyn's Labour Party. I don't care what the consequences are. You know, it's just pff, these people. Brazen. Um, yeah, but nonetheless I will vote as a basis of a lesser evil because I think um, the gap between Labour and the Tories now is too small, but millions of people live in the gap. Um, You know, I think what is insufficient um, change is still better than what the Tories are going to do. And I know lots of you don't agree with me on that, but until the electoral system changes, that's what I think. And that's why we need extra parliamentary movements like Enough is Enough to put pressure on the Labour leadership. But, you know, nonetheless, I'm an independent commentator. My job is to tell you the truth. My job is to say what's actually happening. My job is not to be ali for a leadership which has systematically lied to you, to the Labour Party membership, and lies to the country, because he just keeps saying he didn't make commitments, which he did. All the reasons for them have changed. So that's my response to Keir Starmer. I, I think what I've said, people say, well, you're using quite aggressive language. Sometimes you've just got to say it as it is. You know, you shouldn't tiptoe around um, things and because that's dishonesty. If I'm not telling you about Keir Starmer's dishonesty, I'm implicitly lying to you. Uh, you know, that's lying by omission. That's just, you know, that's giving an impression which is false and misleading. So, you know, if a politician wants to lie, I'm not saying they should be arrested for it, but there should be a cost. There should be consequences because if politicians think they can just lie with no consequences, then obviously democracy itself begins to collapse because you can no longer trust that anything a politician says. And therefore, why would you engage in the political process? Because you just think, well, what's the point of voting? I don't know I'm going to get. It's a pot lock. So that's my view. That's why I've said what I said. I stand by what I said. And um, if, Kier Starmer's uh, really... T- I don't care what supermarket they shop at. They're the most tedious people online. They're humorless, awful people who don't believe in anything. I don't mean all Kier Starmer supporters, by the way. Uh, you know, I've got friends who support Kier Starmer, would you believe? Um, I'm talking about his online army, the sorts of people who went, oh, Corbynism's a cult, Corbynism's a cult, and then spend their waking hours uh, denouncing anyone who just says the objective she's that Kier Starmer lied to become Labour leader, calling them Tories and Tory enablers and all the rest of it, as though British politics revolves around their tweets. Um, you know, that's the truth. And you can lie if you want. If you want to be comical Ali for Keir Starmer's leadership, if you want to go around telling people things which aren't true for party political reasons, be honest with yourself. That's all you're doing. You can do that. I ain't going to do it. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm always going to tell the truth. And if you don't like it, tough. Suck it up. Right. Finally, at the end, um, I just want to put on this, because it's been a long show, Joe, Joe Lysett, the comedian, was on Laura Kinsberg's show. Let's just see what you said.
4: What did you make of it? Now have you calmed down? She has to go I'm from not, the I'm... campaign to the country, but tell us honestly what you thought.
2: Well,
7: so uh, you said earlier that I'm not left or right. I'm actually... I know that there's been criticism in the, uh, the Mail on Sunday today about lefty, liberal, wokey comedians on the BBC. I'm actually very right-wing, and I loved it. I thought she was very clear. She gave great, clear answers. I know exactly what she's up to. And I think she's... Uh, most people watching at home who are worried about their bills are going to feel...
4: There's There's a serious feel, point, Joe, There's a I'm serious not being point. sarcastic. Absolutely. She said that there was a big package of help coming this week yeah. for people to help she pay their bills. She was very clear what she
7: said, and I, I, I think... You know exactly what's going to happen. I think, you're reassured, I'm reassured. Are you reassured? Wow, Emily Thornberry, so reassured. you're
4: smirking but over Jay, there. politics the can be very, very unpredictable. I mean, mm. let's look at two different opinions in the papers this yes. morning. You have a columnist, um, Matthew Syed, who's basically predicting that it's going to be a nightmare and that the leadership contest has been out of touch with the country. But Janet Daly in The Telegraph says, look, actually, Liz Truss is stronger than you think. If she gets cracking, yeah. gets out there, she might be Fair able to, to...
7: Janet. I think, you know... The haters will say that you've had 12 years of the Tories and that we're sort of at the dregs of what they've got available and that Liz Truss is sort of like the backwash of the available MPs. I wouldn't say that because I'm incredibly right-wing, but some people might say that. But
4: the consensus, though, in politics is often wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, often, it's often wrong and we often don't know what is going to pan out.
7: Yeah. Well, as, as Liz said there, she said she would be wrong to predict the future even though loads of people have predicted that we're going to have real issues with paying our energy bills. But, um, you know, I think she's right to just then just sort of basically say, well, let's not predict and see what happens next week. I think she did the
2: right thing there.
4: Well, let's talk about something. (laughs)
2: It's a funny guy, isn't he? So, honestly, the pearl-clutching began immediately, political commentators go, oh God, why is he being funny and silly and supporting the show? Does he know the sanctity of Sunday morning political discussion has been destroyed, the holy day, the holy, the, the day of worship where we're there, we we, we we amass as a country, we come together in our pews and worship at the altar of, of serious political discussion, really these pundits who just have all this insight and we're there being showered with their wisdom and, and what's going on behind the scenes, and this guy turns and he doesn't take it very seriously. He's just, he's being silly about it. And it's just really upset. I'm just really upset right now. That's what they did, a load of political commentators. They got really angry and upset. They were like, oh my God, Joe <gasps> Um, Yeah, and I think it just exposes like, a lot of political commentators in this country think they're very serious. Very serious, important people. Very serious. And they're there, you know, they really know what's going on. You know, we really, really do know. Very well connected. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I. absolutely. Yeah, I'd like to, you know maybe in parts with my wisdom, if that's okay. Uh, um, yeah, we know a lot about politics actually. Take themselves very seriously, and then you know this guy comes on and um makes them feel you know their self-importance has been challenged somehow. It's like, how dare you? How how dare you? You know, like someone who turns up to like some dinner party where everyone's taking it very seriously. Someone's throwing food. It's like, get out! Um, That's what they're like. Um, and the thing is, a lot of those shows are just, you know, they, those discussions are so inane. You know, it's, it, it, they treat politics like a soap opera. You know, I mean, that's who's up, who's down. It's all about characters. It's all about individuals rather than what's going on in society around us. You know, po- that's what politics should be about. Politics should be about what's happening in, in the country. But it's all this soap opera. and. He just, you know, the thing is, all these people clutching their pearls. oh uh, about it. The thing is, like normally those contributions on those shows where someone does the I'm gonna be very serious and grown up and adult and tell you something very inane and not very and very superficial, but I'll pass it off as wisdom. Um, is that no one really engages with it, doesn't really create any discussion or debate or anything like that. This clip, Laura Kunz, should be. Deleted. I mean, that clip's gone viral. Everyone's talking about it. And it's really, it's opening up a discussion about how politics is spoken about, reported about, discussed, um, as well as what he did, which is shine a light on the absurdity of Liz Truss's policies and and, 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 the, and the approach she's got. You know, that's what po- politics should be, you know, political discussion. I'm always interested. How do you engage people? How do you get people to talk about politics um, who aren't just, you know, the usual sorts of political geeks like me? Uh, that's why I wrote the books I wrote, you know, like Chav's the Demonization of the Working Class. Called it that, didn't call it class in Britain because I was trying to reach people who might otherwise not read about social class. So I'm always interested, being creative. How can you get people to talk about politics? And that's what he did. That's mission accomplished. That's political education, that is. Loads of people who would never watch that show. No offence, Laura, they're not going to watch the show. Those people, they're watching, they're sharing the clip, they're thinking about politics, they're thinking about Liz Truss and her policies. Brilliant. But these commentators were like, oh God. Um, right, I think that's it for me. Um, I it's been a long show, but you know we had lots to talk about. So I am going to leave it there. Thank you so so much for our brilliant guests. We got we got through a lot of stuff. It was really interesting. I found it really interesting. Um, it is uh, disturbing what what we've got what we've got lined up uh, in terms of uh, the country and its future. Uh, Liz Truss obviously imminently becomes prime minister. Um, marking a very significant shift to the right by the Conservative Party and government, that will have an impact on many of your lives. Um, so, even though I think there's a obviously a huge reason for being flippant and satirical, like Joe Lysett, we have to accept that what what is happening in this country is is a tragedy. And it is a trauma for lots of people and the impact of the policies of the likes of the trust are going to have a devastating impact on many people's lives we will do lots of shows um, and discussions and interviews as well as going to conservative party conference to discuss that do support us if you can to keep the show on the road patreon.com forward slash ownjoes84 you can pay brilliant videographer who does if you check out the last conservative party video we did i think you'll enjoy it if you haven't watched it but that's the kind of video that you make possible um so thank you even though i know it's a difficult time we've increased the union rates the union rates gone up for our videographer um and we can only do that because of you so yeah that's why we do it um great and i've got lots of interviews lined up i'm going to get some interesting commentators i think to talk about liz truss and the coming uh weeks and months for our country. So, uh, yeah, please press like on YouTube, uh, press subscribe. And thank you to Peter O'Donovan, who says early election incoming. Key has the look of the devil. We will see. David Baratta, I've heard people asking how long will trust survive, but seeing how long Boris held on, I feel we should be asking how long will the country survive under trust? Very good point. Tad Campbell, the UK stopped being food sufficient in the 1820s. And that was with Ireland as its food basket. In 2016, is a historical legacy, 52% of all Irish agricultural exports to the UK. Very interesting indeed. Always interesting comments from Tad. And also to Tom Thon phrased, oh, interesting name. Um, yes. So thank you, everybody, for your support during the show. Uh, do listen to the podcast, obviously, for those who aren't doing that already. Um, but yeah, um, I've uh, enjoyed your company. I hope you have kind of enjoyed mine. <laughs> um, I'll see you next Sunday. Lots of love.